Pull up a stool and pour yourself a pint as you're about to join three intrepid drinkers, Kevin, Justin, and Mark, as they embark on another beer-tastic voyage. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another beer-tastic voyage. My name's Kevin. I'm Mark. And I'm Justin. And today we're going to be reviewing Mustache Brewing Company out of uh, Riverhead, New York, which has become a hotspot, if you will, of craft brewing. They've got three craft breweries all within, a, you know, literally a stone's throw of each other. You know, if you got a good arm, you could probably hit at least River uh, Long Island to Mustache. Yeah, and then uh, you get Crooked Ladder, and then also probably open by the springtime is Longbeard Brewing. Yeah, so it's, you know, I think you have the combination of it's in a pretty populated area. It's, you know, or it's a good stopping point to the North Fork and the South Fork, wherever you're going. And the rent is still pretty cheap. Yeah, I mean, that's the Riverhead is definitely uh, grabbed on to uh, craft brewing as like a engine of economic recovery. Yeah, it's 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 really exciting and um as far as mustache is concerned, they they kind of follow a, a tale that I've seen a couple times now. You know, their um their founders are Matt and Lori Spitz, um a husband and wife team and they started brewing and doing small batches. They were home brewers and started selling it at farmers markets and trying to raise a little funds and with the Kickstarter campaign, they were able to get the down payment for for the facility that they have and start getting to uh you know they started off with a tiny little two barrel system and for production brewing that's really tiny um it, it's really just glorified homebrew scale yeah exactly um so they went from farmers markets in 2013 and after their kickstarter campaign and um they were able to get it going to a tasting room that opened in 2014 and Actually, just recently in sept um, in September, a few months, uh, two months ago, they uh, started canning, and um, which I think is re- which I think is really cool because the cans are a great vessel for beer. They save the they keep the light out. They don't skunk the beer, and it just allows it to be really easier to transport all over the place. Not only that, but cans are usually permitted in many places that glass bottles are not. That is true, um, and they and. When I hear canning, I I used to always think that this is something like, wow, you have to really have committed to doing this. You're gonna have to invest a lot of money, of time for the facility, you know, for the equipment. But the yeah, co- well, the tooling involved. Yeah, you figure just to just to get everything set up is gonna require a lot of space and a lot of money. But apparently, there's this uh, this group called Anvil Craft Services where they're mobile canning, which I think is incredible. I picture the guy that used to drive around and sharpen knives and scissors and stuff. Like, when it's mobile, I mean, do they, like, set up there and, like, for a couple of days? Or is it just, like, in and, in and out? I, I think they I think they come by. And I, yeah, I, I, I think it's really just, like, all right, they show up in the morning, unload everything from the truck, set it up, and then, like, you go until everything's in the cans. Like canning ninjas. Yeah, that that's kind of the impression that I got. Um, their website is literally just hey contact us if you're interested in doing this like i imagine that they work solely by word of mouth but um just to give you a rough idea like um another local brewery in the area long ireland uses their services as well and i was looking at this i found a um the north forker um you know local area uh, area you know blog out there that covers a lot of food and wine and all sorts of stuff um reported that long ireland was can do 150 cases per day in like in in what would we call it um bottling canning not canning but uh i don't i'm trying to think of a better word here my brain is failing. packaging packaging thank you mark wow <laughs> my brain was fucking stupid there it's all um, right it happens to us all there we go usually i'm the one spitting out words to help other people who are stumbling but that's what i get um so they were able to package 150 cases per day of bottles but with the cans, they can do 750 cases per day. Oh, wow. That's like, significant. That is, and they do from pouring it in, sealing the cans, labeling the cans, packing them ready to go out. And it's a lot easier to get them out to, like I said, to supermarkets and stuff like that. And going to canning has really helped Mustache increase their distribution. They're getting things into the tri state area now. They're starting to get upstate. And uh, they're even available in some supermarkets. Uh, they're, one of the articles I read said that they're available on Whole Foods. 
Oh, I haven't seen any so, of their beer on the shelf yet. I haven't been I haven't been to the local Whole Foods in a while. It's just not usually in the range of my bank account to go shopping there frequently. Oh, yeah, I was going to say you you didn't have a briefcase of money to like throw over the deli counter. I just want a briefcase of money. <laughs> Amy and I go there every once in a while and get like cheese and cured meats. Yeah, we I go in there and walk around and then I'm like, "Wow, this is uh this yeah. is pretty expensive. It's and full I, paycheck, and, not and, and I usually buy some beers that uh, you, I can't find elsewhere. Yeah, that, that is true, actually. They do a very good beer selection. I was I was surprised. I forget what I got. I got a, a bourbon barrel-aged cider that was really good. I drank after, uh, actually, Jake's first birthday. That was pretty good. So, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't purchased beer from there. I've had some of their, you know, prepared foods and stuff like that. But it's just it's just not a place that I stop by all that frequently. But um, if they, if you guys are telling me that they have a good selection, I'll definitely have to check them out. Well, yeah, especially they, now that you can get a local have beer. They a wide yeah. and varied selection of both beer and hard cider, which I know your wife is fond of. Yes, she is. Rachel is very fond of the hard cider. Um, but some of their signature beers that uh, you can find around is uh, the Everyman Porter, their uh, Sailor Mouth IPA, and um, one of the ones that they started canning was, uh, I think, called like a Proton IPA or something like that. Now, yes. I've been to, been out to the tasting room there. I know you guys have been with me at those occasions. They love IPAs. They do. Wow. They they love their IPAs. They love. They come up with creative stuff and they love their IPAs. So when Mark happened to be going out that way, he was on vacation for a few days and he was heading out to the Riverhead. So I had him pick up a couple beers for us while he was out there. We're gonna go through. Um, the first beer we have is a milk and honey porter. Um, not porter. I'm sorry, brown ale. And it's an Ameri- they label it as an American-style brown ale. It's a 6% ABV with 41 IBUs. And they call it the milk and honey because that's what they use. They use lactose sugar, which is not completely fermented all the time by the, by the, um, brewer's, yeast. By the brewer's yeast. And the honey, which actually is. So it's supposed to leave a pretty crisp taste. So um, while I've been prattling on, you guys have been uh, sampling and looking at it. And it's a really... It's a... Dark brown. I was um, wondering what you were going to say for the color because, I mean, I I can't say that I've had another beer that was like this specific color. It's simultaneously clear and yeah, very dark. It, it's very clear. Yeah, it's it's got a nice clarity to it. It doesn't have that haze. You can see the light come through it. I feel like we did. Um, I've kind of remember sitting sitting here doing this and being able to see my finger through the glass. But it's might might almost qualify as like a dark dark amber. Yeah. It doesn't have a red tint to it, but it's definitely a dark amber. Um, and no head to speak of, but I think that's kind of the style there. I'm going to take a, you know, I'm going to take a sip here and you guys, you know, let me know what you guys think. Justin, I see you kind of went through, went to it a couple times. Yeah, it's it's interesting. The um, In the previous episode, we had a bunch of uh, beers that were in this range in terms of IBU. And we we said how crisp it was on the, on the back and sort of how refreshing. And not as a negative, but I feel like this is the opposite. I get refreshing right away, and then I get hit with the hops on the back, which with for this particular beer is is not. And I say hop, I shouldn't say hops. Bitterness. That's I'm going to try to be more clear about that. I always um, I always put hops and bitterness together, which isn't always, always isn't necessarily the case. But there's definitely a bitterness on the back end to it. it it's very smooth though. It's not um not that that harsh. No, and they definitely it has a very prominent honey character. Or flavor to it it's not noticeable on the aroma so much but definitely on the like the back end of the taste you can definitely taste the honey yeah the fin- the finish is definitely honey and they and in their description they talk about a, a clean crisp finish that comes from the fully fermented honey sugar and i think that's the spot on like sometimes you know breweries will kind of fancy up their description a little bit or you know not be a hundred percent accurate and i don't think it's in in an attempt to deceive but i think this is a really they they were very fair and accurate about what they were saying that it's you know you taste the i taste the bitter up front which is kind of an, a little bit of a turnoff to me in the beginning but the crisp at the end i i wish there was a little bit more not sweetness but just a little bit more body to it to kind of to even it out a little more, I think. Yeah, I feel like what a lot of breweries do when they write their description is they're almost writing it before it's made. I mean, I don't know that they're actually doing that, but sometimes it feels like they this is what they were going for. 
yeah. and then maybe they they got around that or, or they or they didn't but in this case i mean the description definitely gives you what you what you're getting yeah um it's it's a it's a nice beer i think it's a it's got a, it's got a good taste to it and um yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna keep drinking it mark you're almost done with it i think you enjoyed it a little a little bit more than i did yeah well uh so I, I'm actually the one that procured this beer because, you know, as Kevin said, I've been off for the past week because I'm changing jobs. And uh, I spent yesterday afternoon going to the three breweries in Riverhead. and Driving your, your drunken wife around. Yeah. <laughs> well, she was enjoying it, so. That's a good thing. And, um, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed this beer. I, I, don't, I don't know that I would be, uh, you know, on my list of I got to go back and get it. But it was definitely a uh, a solid choice. All right. So rather than uh, beating around the bush or hanging on to it for a while, why, why don't we uh, review it? Why, why don't we give it a rating while it's kind of fresh in our minds and on our palates here? That sounds good. I'm uh, I'm an easy one. I'm gonna go pint. Okay. I, I would I would enjoy a pint of this when I stop in the tasting room, and then I probably uh, grab something else. How about you, Mark? Yeah, I'm with you on that, Justin. Uh, a pint is good. But uh, I'm not going to want a second glass right away. I'll come back to it later. But I'm not going to want to drink more than one glass of this back to back. Yeah, I, um, I'm gonna make it the trifecta here and label it clearly as a as a pint. Like it's it's good enough that I want to drink more than the taster. But I I think it might be a one and done for me. Of I had the the one glass and I'm pretty comfortable of saying okay, check it off. I'm I'm not gonna reach for it a second time. I don't think. Yeah, that makes sense. And just while Mark's pouring the next beer, I'll just remind the listeners that uh, our rating system is a scale of five, and uh, it's and it's a beer-related system, so it should be easy for everyone to follow. It's a taster, a pint, a bomber, a growler, and then a keg, because we just can't have enough. Right, and it's really a reflection of how much of the beer do we want to drink. It's we tried. Sometimes we may reference the BJCP guidelines, but we're not a hundred percent. We don't stick to them. We're None not of us are certified to- beer judges. Nope, not at all. Um, we are merely guys who like drinking beer and sharing our opinions. So, what do we have next? Next, we're moving on to their black currant porter. And the black currant porter doesn't have a ton of information on the website. There, they just kind of tell it that it's three point nine percent ABV, and. Um, and aside from that, we can gather that it is both a porter and has black currants in it. Yeah. Now, correct Mark, correct me if I'm wrong. Currants are kind of like related to raisins, almost, right? Uh they are a fruit, yes. And uh, <laughs> I know, I believe golden raisins are actually technically currants and not grapes. Okay. But I don't know if they're a kind of grape or if they're an entirely different fruit. I, I don't know either. But every time I hear like currants and stuff, I feel like. I, I think of fruitcake. I think of like the stuff that gets shoved into weird fruitcakes, and Justin's got that gleam in his eye of of using the Google foo. Yeah, I, I had to know the answer to this. I actually thought Mark would know the answer too, and I'm, I'm not going to say I'm disappointed. But no, I, I wasn't <laughs> attempting to throw Mark. I wasn't attempting to throw you under the bus. You're you're our beer professor. You're not our current professor here. Yeah, I, I am no botanist. That's right. Um, well, Justin is fooing away over there. <laughs> Um, it's, it's opaque. This, uh, let's take a look at, uh, you know, talk about the color and the, the scent of it a little bit. It's a, it's a, it looks kind of flat. Um, I'm not really getting any lacing on the side of it, but it's a solidly opaque beer. There's no light coming through this beer at all. No, but it, the, uh, the current in the aroma is very noticeable. It's very it, it, strong. It is one of the best smelling things I've ever smelled. All right, so I'm going to concur that currants are somewhat related to grapes because there's definitely a grapey kind of scent there. If, if thanks to Wikipedia, we have the answer. Okay, wiki us the answer here. Okay, Go. so I'm going to read this verbatim. Zante currants, corinth uh, raisins, or corinthinian raisins, also simply called currants. That's a lot easier. Were they rich Corinthian raisins? <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> are dried berries of the small, sweet, seedless grape cultivar black corinth. Oh, all right. It is a gr- so grape it's a, variety. It's a yeah. grape. Co- it's like the cousin of the grape. Yeah, exactly. Apparently, it's you know the name- it's the cousin of the grape that you only see like every other Thanksgiving, and you just you, we don't really talk. It's about a that grape way. named by some royal person a long time ago. Apparently, stupid royal people. Yeah. Okay. 
Solid. All right, so that makes sense of why we get that grape flavor, the grape scent to it. Um, yeah, seriously, I just want yeah, honestly, it, they need to they need to make. Uh, you want a car air freshener? I, I was just gonna say that. Car. I really need a car air. <laughs> I, number one, everyone here knows I really need a car air freshener badly, but one that smells like this would be great. Yeah, you well, mean aside from the bags of uh, Wendy's and whatnot? No, no, no. no. Don't throw say, me don't under the bus. I don't have anymore. that anymore. I have a lot of bags of Mo's though. Oh like, yeah, a lot. and Chipotle probably. Yeah, yes, and Chipotle. Well, let's take a quick sip of this and uh, see what we taste about it. It's a nice, nice porter. It, the uh, the currants give it a little bit of a, a tartness. Yeah, this is this is pretty tasty. Um, I almost wish, like it's it's got that great it's got that little bit of great flavor to it. It's smooth. It tastes a little. I'm gonna say the texture. The, the, the mouthfeel of the beer is a little thin, but it's not a bad thing. In this case, it doesn't coat it. I don't know if I really like it if it coated my tongue. Yeah, I was I noticed the same thing. Again, when I think porter, I think a, a, a tad bit excuse me, thicker than this. And um I think if it if it did, it would be syrupy. It would it would definitely ruin the uh the, the current flavor. Yeah, it doesn't have that syrupy flavor, but it's definitely got a little bit of sweetness to it in the front. Um at 3.9% APV, like, this is super sessionable. You could drink this all day. Yeah. Um, it, that's that's the first thing I thought about when you said 3.9. I'm yeah, like, like, man, if this tastes good, you could really yeah, just like go Yeah, like, if you it. enjoy this, I think it might be a little sweet to really drink a ton of. Yeah. But I'm not, I'm not sad about this one at all. No, this would be good to uh, make, like, a, a simple dessert with some fruit. Just chop up some fruit, throw it in one of these beers on in a yeah macerate the fruit a little bit yeah yeah absolutely that I would simmer it down yeah rose say reduce it a little yeah. I would I would a hundred percent be in favor of that the other thing I would really be in favor of doing is for someone to sour this yeah that would definitely bring take up. this and put some bread in there and let it sour and I think this would be outstanding you throw it in an oak barrel too oh, that'd be pretty cool. I'd, I think this is a this is a beer that if they want to start getting creative with stuff like that, like barrel aging it and or souring it or doing some spin-offs with it, I think this is a really good base for that. It'd be pretty neat if they uh as I as I said during the Blind Bad episode, open sourced the beer like they did. Like like um I forgot his name. That uh Paul. Paul did for Blind Bad where you can go on and get the recipe from the website. Uh oh. Yeah, not everybody is uh uh, what is it, Brewdog? I think it's a UK brewery. Like they published homebrew scale recipes of all of their beers online not that long yeah, ago. That's so cool. Um, I I mean they're a craft brewer, but they're not a they're by far a lo- from a local one. They're uh, it's called the Brewery B R U, um, R Y, and they're out in California. And Mark and I, I I know are big fans of them, and they have a fantastic line of soured beers, and one of them's called Tart of Darkness. Um, this kind of reminds me of that, like the beginning flavor profile of it. I feel like if you took a little bit of that and added it in, like it'd be get, it'd be on the right path. Yeah, no, I, I I follow what you're saying, and I agree with you there. Yeah, I'm I'm super happy with that. I'm not chugging this at all. I it's I want to hang out and just kind of I'm I'm kind of sad. I'm trying to talk and buy us a little more time, but I can't talk and gently sip this at the same time. It doesn't work. But. Yeah, it definitely is a sipper. Yeah, see, I, I, have a, I think I have a much bigger sweet tooth than either uh, Mark or Kevin. Th- this one would not last long. I would be, I, I would s- just slam this. Yeah, this is, I, I'm gonna, as I mentioned before, we've been we've been out to Mustache before. I haven't been a, in the past a really big fan of some of the beers that they produced. Um, but this one, I'm a big fan of, and you know what? Let's um let's carry on. Let's review this one as well while we have it here, and let me finish mine. <laughs> so, Justin, get us started. Yeah, I'm kind of chomping at the bit. Um, it's going to be a growler for me. I uh, I I could definitely go through a bunch of these, especially at three point nine percent. I mean, you didn't, we didn't have to even feel bad about it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I'm nodding here, but you guys can't hear nodding. So, yes, absolutely. Yeah, you did remind me of that in a previous episode that no one yeah. can hear me nodding even with my giant head. <laughs> See, for me, it's going to be a bomber, but I think that's the perfect amount. I have uh, plenty of beer to cook with, and I also get one for myself. 
Mm. Yeah, I um I'm kind of right in the middle of you two, but I'm going to I think I'm going to scale up. I'm going to go with the growler here. Um part of it I think just being the pleasant surprise of of liking it and another part of me wanting to try a couple different things with it and cook with it a little bit and try a few different other flavors. Now, this uh, last one we have is um, another cream ale. And we did a cream ale, and we've done a cream ale a couple times in other episodes. Um, our Philadelphia Adventure, we did a cream ale. And every time I hear cream ale, I think of this beer that we used to get up in college called Genesee Cream Ale. And it's a terrible beer. <laughs> it's, I, it's, it's a really big production, and it's I think it's one of those kind of things like it's a local thing and people like it in central New York. And it's kind of like your favorite swill that you drink all the time at college or when you're going camping. I remember my old man and some of his friends would tell stories about, they would be going camping in the middle of nowhere and they'd be downing cases of Jenny cream ale. Well, I can tell you right now, I did a quick, uh, another quick Google search. Google foo is in full effect right now. And uh beer advocate, it's got three stars. But if you go down to uh, ratebeer.com, it's rated at 7%. I'm sorry, that's the ABV. It's one star. One star. Yeah. For Genesee. Yeah, that, the one beer you're talking about. So yeah. there aren't enough people in Central America. This is that's 700. Central America? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, apparently there are plenty of people there, but uh, not enough people in Central New York to bring it up. There are 755 votes, and it's got one star. Yeah, that's that's pretty weak. It's got a, a thousand three hundred and thirty-one votes on uh, Beer Advocate, and it has three stars. So yeah, it's probably not uh, it's, not that great. It's not a it's it's not a great beer, but it's a it's a we can play beer pong with this and get hammered beer. It's sold. Yeah. So I don't think we said the name. The name of it is Lawn. Yeah, just Lawn, just Lawn Cream Ale. It's four point seven ABV. So it's again a little lower than average, but that puts it right in the wheelhouse of most of your big breweries. You know, most of your uh, your macros. I'm going to guess that it has a bunch of hops. The thing that I find funny, though, about this is they had uh, or they did a special wet hop variety of this for uh, the wet hop beer festival that was held uh, a couple of months back, and they called it "Keep Off the Grass." Now, <laughs> what's the difference between wet hopping and dry hopping? So, wet hopping uh, refers to when, uh, so. Hops are flowers of a vine related to marijuana. Dude. And uh, the, so the hop flowers are what are actually used in the brewing process. Right. They're, and, they, they're little, they look like tiny little leafy pine cones. Right. So what wet hopping refers to, so usually after hops are harvested, those flowers are processed in some way to dry them out and they're either kept as whole flowers or they're pelletized yeah the, I've, I've seen that i've i've brewed with both and the pellet ones always remind me of like rabbit food or like hamster food yeah. or something like that so what what hopping refers to is it skips that uh drying and processing of the hop so the hop vine is cut down the hop cones are picked off of it and those cones are thrown right into a beer without being dried or heated or treated in any way okay i imagine that that uh, gives it that more uh, a more of a grassy flavor it can what it does so because the uh a lot of the flavor and aroma compounds are coming from oils in the hop flowers reducing the amount of heating that goes into it helps uh, prevent any of those oils from being driven off and losing the uh, flavor and aroma that is there. Oh, that's <laughs> I, I'm, I. That makes per, that makes perfect sense. I mean, if you're not kill if you're not killing it, if you're not drying it out, you're going to maintain some more of the oils. And apparently, wet hopping is what I did once accidentally. I didn't know that's what was happening, but cool. And, um, again, like some hop where, you know, part of the adventure is learning what hops we like and learning what hops we don't. I'm going to reaffirm that Simcoe is not my friend. <laughs> um, but I'm just saying like I took a, 
I took a whiff of the this one here, and it reminds me of when you wake up and you have to clean up after the party. Like that's that's what I laughed at was your face when you yeah when I you, I made a, a a face that was not that pleasant and it that feeling of you woke up you're hungover and you smell the remains of the party and that's kind of what this smells like yeah this it definitely has a harsh bitterness to it it's uh it's it's uh, strange I don't for me it's not that as harsh as I expected I think I'm gearing myself up for for like you know Pucker City like you know I have to put it down. So that's why I think that maybe it's not uh, not as harsh as I envisioned, but it's it's not it's definitely not awful. I mean, I shouldn't see you know it's it's a beer that I uh, I can see myself having a, some of, and me and even ordering again the next time I I, I visit uh, Mustache. The for me the smell, while it's a turn off, the taste itself isn't bad. No, it's to, it tastes different than it smells. Um, this one, where other beers that we've had out of. Snifter glasses have benefited from the hot from the aroma <laughs> staying in. I think this one kind of hinders it. Like this is something. This is designed. This beer should probably be served in pint glasses or big mugs, and be allowed to breathe and just be there and be ice cold and you know go for it and sit on the lawn chair and pound a couple of these guys and yell at the kids to get off your grass. <laughs> <laughs> Little bastards. So, uh, yeah, go for it. Yeah, I mean, for me, they're, they're for cream ale, this has the hop character is too assertive and maybe a little bit too. The bitterness to me is definitely harsh. So, I'm as far as rating this, it's I'm gonna have to stick with the tasting. I don't think I could uh, enjoy more than that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go pint. I was uh, again with this cream ale, much like the uh, the Inca from Philadelphia. I was uh, I was pleasantly surp- pleasantly surprised that I wasn't uh, as turned off as I as I thought I would be. And of course, this is all you know. Like we always say it's personal opinion. Um, if you're into a beer that is um, is bitter and, and hopped, this this is the, right up your alley. Yeah, um, I'm gonna go with a taster as well. Um, I think, and I, I try not to. You try not to become like predisposed to saying like a certain style. I just don't like. And because there's always something that could happen that you know that brings out a, a new flavor, and you're like, oh hey, they've done this one really well, and I still want to try it. But um, cream ales are disappointing me more often than not, to be honest. Even though I like them better than your the macro lagers that are kind of boring and you know just your plain American lager or American pilsner, um, they're still not exactly climbing the charts to to my heart here. So I'm gonna go, like I said, with it uh, with that taster. Wow, we had a uh, harsh review of this one. We got two tasters. This is uh, it's reaching uh, lo- the the lower levels. I mean, it's not quite Muscat love level, but it's it's yeah. it's a uh, circle. I, I don't know if anything will ever achieve Muscat love level. Well, you know, I, that's one of those ones that I, um, you know, I hope we don't find another like as much as I don't want them to be bottom somebody has to be the bottom someone has to dfl so i want to uh you know i want to keep finding beers to pile on top of that to push it further down <laughs> yeah they can be the power bottom the uh <laughs> <laughs> the sloppy power bottom <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh still love great south bay though yes we do and we will get great south bay fans we will get more of their beers on and we will like them and you and you will see that there are much more good beers from them What's interesting is I, I, I want to try the other porter from Mustache now. They're the everyday, was it everyday? Everyman porter. porter. Yeah, the yeah. Everyman porter is one of the first ones that they started manufacturing in mass, and it's one of their signature beers. And I think that, I wonder if that's kind of like the uh, their baseline porter recipe and that they added currants to it to come up with this one. Because if they did, then I think that porter would be a really nice beer. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. It um That, that, that was probably what they did. Oh, so the I do want to mention that uh, they just released. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure it's a yearly uh, release, but they do a uh, barley wine that they call 42, which is a reference to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. 
So oh. this barley and wine is the answer to the life, universe, and everything? Yes. And it's uh, this current release was aged in South American rum barrels for a year. Whoa. Okay. So as long as we bring a towel, we can enjoy it. That's right. Okay. So <laughs> keep Justin your eyes that open no, for that. No, I know Mark did. Justin didn't. Yeah, you, you weren't here for the our Halloween party, but uh, I was dressed as Arthur Dent, completely oh, with a towel. Okay. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad that we established that if you remove the towel and add some gel sandals, that magically you become the dude. Right. Because <laughs> there's really not a whole lot of difference. There really isn't. Um, so, and as we you know we we learned a little bit about the difference between dry hopping and wet hopping tonight, and that's always interesting. But one of the uh, any, one of the things that I like about learning new things and experiencing new things is that you get sucked into the rabbit hole and not just like the YouTube rabbit hole of like you find yourself watching, you know, videos you of don't people. cancel the autoplay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you know, you, not like some of the really weird stuff that you find yourself on at three o'clock in the morning. But but um, one of the things that always kind of confuses me with the manufacturing of beer is the barrel system. Because like so many of the other systems that we use from the Imperial units, they're back-ass word, and they don't make sense, and they're probably related to a 16th century person's body part that doesn't the same size anymore anyway, but they probably judge it off this and stupid things. It's like if we're in the UK, like when the UFC is it like, oh, sorry, when the UFC has Michael Bisping on it, they're in the yeah, UK. Everything's in stone, right? Yeah, everything's in stone. And it's like, he's a uh, 7.4 <laughs> stone. Like, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, really <laughs> stupid. that's that's way dumber than yeah, anything. And I think have. it's, stu- you know, and we measure horses in hands height and, right. you know, and feet and inches and yards and all this other stupid crap. And God damn it, the metric system just makes a whole lot more sense. It really does. Yes. Hectoliters. You, you under like when somebody says hectoliters, hectoliter. you know what that like. All right, you I might not have any real grasp of how much volume a liter is, but I at least understand that hecta is a prefix that tells me how many liters there are. Exactly. I'm glad you went there because I definitely would have st- wouldn't have started at hectoliters. Like I would have dropped <laughs> hectoliter from yeah, the that's sky not the- and said everybody knows hectoliter. Yeah. <laughs> Like every time I I hear hecta I hear like hectoliter or hectare of of land or something like that I think of the Simpsons episode when uh Homer's trying to buy the the car from like from one of the Soviet republics that no longer exists and he's like what's it get on fuel mine it gets fourteen hectares to three liters of kerosene what is that where is this car from it no longer exists <laughs> you know like it just it's just there like. Every time I hear hectare or hectoliter, that's what runs in my head. But um, so barrels, to kind of put it into a number that our brains can kind of wrap around, is 31 gallons. Why it's 31, I have no idea why it's 31. I didn't bother to look that far because I didn't want to know the answer. (laughs) Don't. The hole did not go that deep. Justin, it was one of those ones like you found it and you just went, no, there's no reason going further than that. (laughs) But I kind of took a right turn. And the right turn led me to saying like, well... If this is if this is a barrel and this is how many it is, well, how many are how many gallons are these are some of these places really producing? Because I want to get a rough idea. So one of the so one of the articles that I was reading is Greenport Brewery. When we covered them, we talked about that new facility that they have out out in Peconic. Yeah, where they added four ninety barrel cyst four ninety barrel fermenters. So that's going to give you, and then they have at least another set of four 90 barrel fermenters. So that's like hundred and that's 720 barrels. And if you add up all the other stuff that they have, plus what they're planning on adding soon, another couple 180 barrel ones, they're going to have a distribute. They're going to have a manufacturing ability of almost 38,000 gallons. Wow. So when I start putting that in perspective, I start going, now I understand that. That's a number that I can, don't tell me, don't tell me the 1230 barrels. Tell me, you know, 38,000 gap 38,130 gallons that's the number that I can start to comprehend yeah I'm with you because you know being a home brewer and beer geek that I am most of what I listen to are podcasts about beer that's and when like ours right you listen to you listen to us talk about us uh that's only part of it but okay. yes uh you know whenever I I'm listening to an interview being conducted with some brewer somewhere and he says oh yeah our production is x number of barrels like you know it doesn't make any sense like it's not my brain does not process what that means 
Yeah. Tell tell me like no tell me number of cases of beer that you produce or number of gallons of beer that you produce because that's kind of the, how my brain functions. Right. But I can't like really process that. But sometimes sitting there in gallons because we don't usually go and buy beer in gallons. You may not know really be able to comprehend that into beer like into into like how many it is. So I mean if I remember correctly like in the past when I've homebrewed and Mark. You do it more often. Like, how many cases you do a five gallon batch usually, right? Right. So, how many cases is that? That's like two and a half cases, right? Oh, it's about 48 bottles. 48 bottles. Okay. So, I mean, they, there you go. 48 12 ounce bottles. Right. So, to give you a rough idea, I mean, if we wanted to mathematize it out there, you could go for that. That's not my thing. I'm not a math person. I use my fingers and toes, and it doesn't get pretty. Well, the gallon is 128 ounces. Yeah, you're doing that math thing again. I told you not to do that. Well, I'm just telling you what they are. I'm okay. not actually doing math. Okay. I would have to open the calculator app on okay. my phone. So, so part, as I said, my rabbit hole took a left turn, and I ended up at the ttb.gov site, which is apparently the Alcohol and Tobacco Trade and Tax Commission. Okay, that's what that stands for. Right. So TTB doesn't really follow it because the A is just not included, and it's so it's the trade... It's the Tobacco Trade and Tax Bureau. Um, and they are they track how many barrels of beer are produced in the U.S. by manufacturers every year. Right, because so, they want to make sure they get all that tax money. Exactly. <laughs> you got to get the tax dough, man, because the tax dough has to pay for, you know, goods and services like guns and butter and all that other kind of fun stuff. And so to give you an idea, in 2015... 16.9 million barrels of beer were produced in the U.S. Last, that year. Wow. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, but I just, that's, I can't, I can't even comprehend that. Like, so, so let's do that. So, I mean, let's do this. Can you do 16.9 million times 31? <laughs> and for those Man. of you out there that want to follow us down this rabbit hole, I was curious the barrel Wikipedia page is yeah. really long. Yes, it is. So and I had to know how many words were on it since we're mathematizing things. Okay. So I went and I found out there, I, using more Google Foo, 3,524 words written about barrels. There you go. On there. So, so Justin, right. since you're so, Google Fooing, I need you to find out how many gallons are in an Olympic-sized swimming pool. All right. Yeah, see, like that's the kind of... That's where we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. Go. How many... So 16.9 so million barrels I, yields... I, I did the math, and what that equates to is just about 5.6 billion 12-ounce bottles. 5.6 billion bottles of beer. Billion with a B. That is going to be a long song. Yes. <laughs> 5.5 billion bottles of beer on the wall. 5.5 billion bottles I'm of beer. I'm pretty sure I would die before I got the 4 billion. I think most people would, too. All right. So... so Go back, get me that in gallons. And Justin, how many are, gallons are in an Olympic-sized swimming pool? 660,430. 660, okay. You got that, Mark? No, hang on. 66,430. We're getting there. 66,430 yeah. is... This is some the, fascinating shit. We're using a calculator. So <laughs> that's excited to be listening to this? <laughs> that is nearly 8,000 Olympic-sized swimming pools. 8,000 Olympic-sized swimming pools filled with beer. Take that, How's that for Phelps? visualization? See that that's something that I can well eight thousand it like I but I can grasp how much water is an Olympic sized swimming pool and then there's eight thousand of them. It takes it takes like two days for a hose to fill an Olympic sized swimming pool. Okay, so it takes sixteen thousand days. Three quarter inch (laughs) or five eighths inch. Oh my god, I have no idea. What are you doing? (laughs) I actually thought you had a point to what you were going to say. This is how ridiculous. No, being terrible. So. So that was the left turn. And then when I got to the light, I took a right turn and ended up at the Brewers Association page. And I wanted to see, well, which are the craft beers that are really, that are brewing the most of these 8,000 Olympic swimming pools worth of beer. And by the way, that's up 200,000, that's up uh, 2,000, 2,000? 200,000 barrels from 2014. I believe it. So that's cool. That's just at Mark's house. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So... The craft beers, the craft brewers that you think of um, that are the top producers are probably ones that you'd be pretty consistent with and think about. Yingling being number one, 
Boston Brewery Company, number two, Sierra Nevada, number three. And I'm just going to go to the top 10 here because like, they gave me give you the top 50. If you want to go over to the Brewers Association website, it's got a ton of information on it. But Sierra Nevada, New Belgium, Gambrinus, Lagunitas, Bells, Deschutes, Minhas, and Stone Brewing Company. And I don't think I've ever heard of Minhas. I haven't heard of Minhas either. That was the only one on the, li- on the top 10 that I haven't heard of and I didn't get a chance to look at through who they were. But all 10 of those also fine within also are within the top 20 breweries um including all other including the mass breweries right so i mean the top three are the ones that you would think of anheuser-busch is the number one miller course yeah. miller course number two and then paps is number three the, and then yingling is number four and boston brewing is number five so these are the ones that you kind of think about and you go oh, okay yeah that makes sense and pretty soon, uh, Yingling's going to be moving up to number two because AB InBev is buying Miller Coors. So, yep, there you go. Um, now, the um, to kind of give us a little bit of local flavor here, the largest the cl- the largest brewery in by volume in the tri-state area for us is Brooklyn Brewery at number twelve, and they're the eighteenth largest brewer um, in the nation. Wow! So like. I think of that and go, well, Boston, you know, like Brooklyn's not really that big of a brewery. Like it's cool. They got good distribution, but to think that they're one of the top 20 breweries like in the nation is, is kind of incredible and makes me have to reevaluate like the scale of where things fall in that rank. They also well, make a, a lot of different beers. Like I, I, like to me, when I think of large breweries with the exception of Sam Adams, right? they, they don't make a, a large variety they kind of stick to what they do best and brooklyn definitely at least goes against that perception for me whether that's reality or not okay well the other thing too is like after you get past the top 10 i really think that the overall production drops significantly from the brewers so like brooklyn is number 18 but i bet there's a significant difference between the number of barrels produced by number 10 and the number of barrels produced by brooklyn yeah, that's a that's a good point. Uh, that's something that I did not look into, but uh, it certainly makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and, and like what I'm what I'm trying to say is like it's probably an exponential difference. Like it's not like oh yeah yeah two thousand barrels. It's probably like twenty thousand barrels. Yeah, I'm I'm sure I'm sure it's orders of magnitude away. Like I I understand exactly what you're saying there. Um, the other one that I looked at, um, the only other one in the top fifty from New York is uh, Duvel Mortcott, which um duvel beer you've heard of yeah they purchased and the only reason they fall under new york is because they now have brewery facilities in cooperstown because they purchased omnigang brewery oh Uh, i didn't realize that yeah um and also i heard um i heard on one of the other um podcasts that i listened to that um brooklyn got a um maybe not a majority stake but definitely a stake was purchased by um ab Invent. I believe it. So, um, AB Inviva is buying everything. Like they just bought uh, Northern Brewer slash Midwest Supplies, which is oh, that's the what largest. that's what it was. That it's not Brooklyn. It's that it's 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 Northern oh, Brewer. That's what yeah. I heard they bought. Okay, yeah, they, they so Anheuser Busch InBev decided to go out and buy the largest homebrew supplier in the country for whatever reason. Yeah, that that acquisition definitely interested me i'm not 100 percent certain um where they plan on going with that and what they really want to do with that like i'm i'm interested i I don't know how to feel i'm not sure if i'm excited about that or if i'm just kind of worried that they're gonna find a way to like hose us all yeah i see i mean that's part of it that boggles my mind because uh being a home brewer, craft beer nerd, I know that myself and many others are no longer going to be inclined to purchase anything from Northern Brewer or Midwest because of who they're now owned by. Yeah, uh, it's it confuses me. It's it's kind of a bummer because you have the old uh, you know the whole old music decision of like who's sold out and who hasn't. You know, you try to still support the local guys, but I'll be honest, like. Since I know that, you know, Blue Point got picked up, like I haven't drank as much of their beer as I have as I have before. I want I want the dollar staying here. 
I, what you're saying definitely makes sense. One question I have is, is there an example of a brewery that did get bought by them that um, changed in some way that uh, that you didn't like? I mean, did they stop making uh, as wide a variety of beer? Did they did anything? I, I'm you know, I have no idea. No, I, I I think you bring up a really great point is they probably haven't changed. I haven't drank anything of theirs in a while. And if I picked it up, it's if anything, they have more variety now and more distribution and they've just gotten more of what should have been a good thing. And it's, you know, it's hypocritical of me that I'm not doing that. They should, you know, keep continuing to support a guy that's lo- the, a local guy like that. But I don't know. I just, I mean, maybe it's cause I wasn't a big fan of their beer to begin with. I just liked the fact that it was a local beer, but it's definitely part of it is like, all right, I'm, you know, it's like going to a farm stand to buy your vegetables. Like, you know you're doing a good thing for somebody that's local. You're giving them your money. You're not giving your money to some giant multinational corporation that, you know, dodges their taxes by putting their holdings in some Caribbean country so that they don't have to pay taxes on the shit that they're supposed to. You know, it. it, it that's really what it's about. Because, you know, all right, you know, if you buy beer from a local guy, whatever, he gets taxed on X number of dollars of it. AB InBev, I'm sure, gets out of paying 30% of that because of whatever loopholes that they managed to take advantage of being a multinational giant conglomerate. Yeah, because they have an entire room full of lawyers finding ways to get them out of that. Right. Yeah, I I understand. So, because we kind of started going into that whole thought process of what is the, you know, what are these giant guys doing and where is this is... I also started. I also looked at it and I went to the, on the Brewers Association website and I said, "What do they define as a craft brewer?" Because we've talked about it a lot. We've said like, "This is a craft beer. This is it." Like, what do they define as a craft beer? So they define a craft beer as a brewer that is small, independent, and traditional. Small meaning less than um, six million barrels. So I know that that number is something that has changed a number of times in like the last ten years. Right where they keep increasing the cap to allow uh, Boston Beer Company and, you know, the other large craft producers to remain under the craft umbrella. Right. And I would imagine that, you know, it's the Brewers Association is a trade association. Their job is to do what's best for the beer companies. Like their job is to protect this, but also, you know, they try to, they're a lobbyist. They're, I'm sure they're a lobby group for it. Their job is to try to help out the brewers. So, being able to get your more successful people to maintain their title is is important. You don't oh, want yeah. you don't want a, a group like Boston Beer Company becoming six, who has become super successful, but is still, you know, the number five brewer. And we talked about orders of magnitude. The orders of magnitude between what AB InBev does and what Boston Beer Company does is probably staggering as well. Oh yeah, I'm sure. And you know, you don't want them. You don't want to lose your top performers in your, in your division. You don't want that. You need to keep the successful people and what you're doing. Um, the other thing that they list is that it's got to be as part of the independent. Um, I'm sorry, hold on. Let me backtrack for a second. Small, less than 6 million barrels, but also, um, 3% of us annual sales. So I guess that's why it's a flexing number. So if you take the number of us annual sales combined over each year, and if it's less than 3% of that, I guess that's what they could classify as it. So the six million might be bouncing. I don't know. I I didn't find any specifics about that. Independent, less than 25% of the business or controlling interest by an alcohol beverage industry that is not a craft brewery. So you have to be a craft brewery to own a craft brewery. Right. So that's important. And the last thing is that... um, Which is why Lagunitas remains on that list because... They, uh, Miller Coors, I believe, has a minority share. Right, exactly. Um, it's probably like 24.9% or oh, yeah, for, whatever yeah, yeah. And uh, the last thing is traditional. Of uh, A majority of their production is beer. And fo- and doesn't have to be classic beers, but it can be. It needs to be beer um, and not flavored malt beverages, I guess, like Four loco and other weird-ass <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> you know, or stuff that, you know... 15 year olds drink to get hammered and you know drive cars through fields and stuff i wonder if uh angry orchards production is factored into 
those numbers that you have for Boston Beer Company or not? Um, I don't know. That would be interesting. I I know Boston Beer Company also owns a uh, Traveler. I uh they yeah or at they least have like a, a minority a, share in yeah, it. Yeah, or, or at least a like significant that. stake of it, which makes sense considering like they must. And I think they use the same ad agency because their commercials look exactly the same. Uh, <laughs> I don't have cable, so I've never I don't seen... either. But from what I remember, they do. Oh, I, I've never seen a, a commercial I, for yeah Tasty Traveler, but it you know when I found out that connection, it explained to me why all of a sudden this brewery that I had never heard of previously was everywhere. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's a constant kind of struggle of you want people to be small and be productive, but you need the businesses need to consistently be growing in order to be successful. And at some point that growth gets really huge and they start to not become the little guy that you loved and was a lovable local anymore. So it's it's a catch twenty two. It's it's a bummer in that sense, but I think that's uh, I think that's the the struggle that all that we deal with with anything local or anything small that you like. Well, yeah, I mean, it's just like you know the artist. I always think of uh, Gavin DeGraw. I saw Gavin DeGraw open for Bare Naked Ladies way, like way back before anyone had a clue. Like nineteen ninety two. No, no, not that far <laughs> back. He he was actually probably prepubescent then. Oh boy. The uh, but uh, he probably sounded great though. Um, and I remember loving his music. Right. And he actually, I bought a CD out of the trunk of his car. There you go. <laughs> and then he, he, that was his first album, but it was super bluesy and very like rough. Yeah, yeah. And I loved it. And then when he released his album, you know, and it blows pop, up, it, it, it was totally different. And you know, more people liked it. I, I imagine than would have liked his original stuff. I like the original stuff better. But I think when it comes to beer, for the most part, um, other than the monetary portion of giving your money to a large corporation, for the most part, the beer tends to remain the same. Yeah. Yeah, I can't argue against you on that point. It's just uh, it's really a, a philosophical yeah. uh, distinction. No, and I, and I agree with you. And I, everyone, I love to, to buy stuff from local places. I, I, you know, I support small markets that sell organic stuff because I, you know, I try to eat healthy and um it's, it's just you know as as a general general rule it's always nice to help out you, you always feel better at least helping your neighbor out than helping out someone you don't know i i agree wholeheartedly i think that's a there's a value that we all share you know we it's all something we all like to do and that's why we love the local beers yeah and you know it, like you said it's a it's a philosophical argument so it's something that we could go on with and it's something that you guys all should weigh in on you know we want to hear yeah, let else us know is, what you think. You know, we, we want to hear your opinion. And uh, you can reach out to us on any of the social meds that are out there. We're, we're all over all of them. You can hit us up. Uh, send us an email. Old-fashioned email at beertasticvoyage.com. Beertasticvoyage at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry. I know it was – I know I said a couple of them were low – beers and you know sessionable but apparently they got to me a little faster than yeah I we've thought. been rambling on for a little long on this episode so I so things about time to wrap it up yep I, I agree so thanks guys if you enjoyed beertastic voyage please be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to review and rate us the guys can be found online at www.beertasticvoyage.com on facebook at www.facebook.com slash beertastic voyage and Twitter and Instagram at Beertastic Show, or send them a good old fashioned email at beertasticvoyage at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and cheers for local beers. <laughs>